Now then. What is this that brings us together? Are you recording now? Yes. Okay. Well, you didn't tell me, did you? Oh. All got a bit Hudson and Halls. It's been it? so long, I've forgotten what the protocol is. So what what are we doing here? What is this? This is the return of the sitcom club, and this is also where we apologise for lying in the last time we did. We this. have we have no. I've got to I've got to correct you on 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 that instance. You lie if you want to, but uh... no, actually no. I made a plan. Yeah. You made a promise to go along with it, and then. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't follow up. I'm here. I'm ready. Oh, well, there's many roads to Lincolnshire. But the point is that we couldn't contain ourselves. We we were going to kick off with Odd Man Out. But you in particular, you just couldn't wait to talk about Man About the House because you've got so much you want to say about it. <laughs> so I eventually had to give in. No, what's happening is when we do do Odd Man Out, everybody's involved. Odd Man Out's going to be all four of us. Is there a show called Everybody's Involved? No. There's a show there called never Every, will be. Everybody's Equal. That was a, a short-lived game show with Chris Tarrant. There was that. Which then got brought back as Whittle on Channel 5. Yes, with Tim Vine, with didn't Tim it? With Tim Vine, yes. That's right. Do you remember 100%? That was it. Do you remember that show, 100%? With the mm-hmm. voice of Robin Houston on Channel 5. Anyway, this is not Game Show Club. Anyway, yeah, let's start as we mean to go on. The following is a presentation of Audible.com. Hello and welcome to the Sitcom Club. Myself, Mooncat, joined with Ocho. How are you doing? Hello. Now, I should point out for anybody who hasn't yet realised, we're no longer a podcast, we're actually an audiobook now. So you have to pay. So it's only £14.99 to hear the entire episode. Uh, You will get the first 90 seconds free. You do have to pay in person. That that's true. You're gonna so you have my... to go to Glasgow, give fifty percent of the money to Mooncat, and then come to Anaheim and give fifty percent of the money to me. Yes, and that will then entitle you to listen to the entire episode, and also it will keep me in Sky Sports for a month. Ocho, what do you plan to do with the revenue? It'll keep me in Kool Aid for an afternoon. An afternoon. I'm a very thirsty person. Well, so you say, but I'm the one sitting here with a twenty-four pack of Pepsi Max. Must have a heart like a hummingbird. Well, see, the thing was that I went out to my local farm foods the other week because they have 12 packs of Pepsi Max for £3. And off I went, and they were out of them. Shock horror. And I asked, are you going to get them back in? And they said, well, we're not sure, and so on and so on. So the only alternative left for me was to get one of the 24 packs for 6 quid. And since that occasion, that's now my normal default choice. Because Sorry, have we reformatted? I thought we were on Sitcom Club. Yeah, we are on Sitcom Club, but the point is that we're, we're breaking people in gently. Now, every oh, listener, stop listening to this for a second. I'm going to speak to Ocho privately. We can't discuss the sitcom in the first couple of minutes because the people who haven't paid for the audiobook, they, they just need to hear chit-chat. And then, just as we say, and now here comes our discussion about Man About the House, that's when it cuts off, and then they've got to pay, you see? That's what all this Pepsi talk is about, trying to pad it out, you know? Right. So anyway, yes, okay, uh, just checking the watch. Right, okay, so, Man About the House. If you're still listening, thank you for subscribing and paying for this episode. You will not be disappointed. Well, we won't be anyway, because... You will be disappointed. No, I, I, won't, I won't be you, disappointed. You will from my, from my end, because I'm not... In fact, you know what? I'll, um, I'll see you at the end. 
I'm just going to duck out for this one. <laughs> just, no, hang on a second. You can't duck out when you're the only other person on with me. I'm not doing a monologue. <laughs> have you watched Man About the House? I have seen every episode of Man About the House at least twice. I only something... watched the first series. And I'm not saying it was bad. But my little brain was writhing in my skull going, what am I going to say about this? Well, you know... There's nothing to grab onto. There's, I can't get my teeth into it. Okay, well, let, let, let's... When sit. we do ever-decreasing circles, I swear, ever-decreasing circles is probably going to be a five-parter. Because you can examine that right down to yeah, the tiniest yeah. detail yeah, okay, and argue like, back and forth. Well, you, Men you, about the house, yeah, you say that. it ain't deep. No, okay, well, you say that, but... I, I'll put together a few counter-arguments in the course of this, which I think will establish it as... I only have one argument. You have one argument? Yeah. Are you want to use it straight away? Or you, you can't really talk it about it much. There's nothing much there for analysis. That's not really a criticism. I mean, how completely up myself would I have to be if I put Man About the House down? It's not a failure on their part. That's fine. It's entertainment. It's froth. It's good froth. But from the point of view of a podcaster at large, there's nothing to get my scalpel into. Now you see. Now you 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 sound. If you don't mind me saying so, you sound as if you're perhaps bursting to go to the John or something. Because if in first instance you've said, "Oh, we've got to get on with the sitcom," and then we start talking about the sitcom, now you say, "I've got nothing to say about the sitcom." I mean, this is going to be the shortest podcast ever, and we've charged fourteen pounds ninety nine for this. We have to give the public something for their money. I'm going to be watching Manchester United versus Chelsea in in HD on the back of the revenue for this audiobook. So we've got to deliver the goods. I even watched an episode of Three's Company. Why did you do that? To give me something to talk about. Okay, well, let, let's set the I scene. I realised I'd never watched an episode of Three's Company before. And then as soon as it started, I thought, ah, now I know why I've never watched an episode of Three's Company before. Because that title sequence just makes me want to switch off <laughs> okay well let's set this scene i'm going to go on the record right now and say that i really enjoy man about the house uh, it's one of my favorite itv sitcoms and that's, that's not a, a backhanded compliment i don't mean that as in that's my it's favorite one of your favorite ITV yeah, it's, that's, that's my favorite of the channel. 70s called man about the house <laughs> it's not like saying that's my favorite program that's been on all year on channel five i like man about the house i i like the work of those writers johnny mortimer and brian cook I'll be discussing with DCT in a few weeks. I'll be discussing All Cock and Gander, which also features Richard O'Sullivan and Beryl Weed, which is written by the same writers uh, the year before. And, of course, we'll discuss later on the, the two spin-offs from Man About the House and so on. But I do like this show, and I don't mean that in, in a sort of... I legitimately like the show. I don't mean it in a sort of not in your don't nelly... Don't say it unironically. It's just something that makes me itch. I unironically love this. How tragic is the world that people have to explain sincerity as if irony is assumed? Oh God, what a cruel existence! There, you're never. This is here. Here comes a phrase that you are never going to hear on this show, apart from right now, within its proper context. If anybody, and I include myself in this, ever utters the phrase, "This show is one of my guilty pleasures," they will be kicked off the show immediately they we barred i would love there to have been a 70s sitcom called guilty pleasures though yeah Core. what could you make up around that title terry scott 
getting up mm. to all manner of things. He's going out in the morning. <laughs> he's got his bowler hat on. He's got his umbrella. His wife thinks he's going to the office. Ah, but, you know, there may be some other things going on there. I, I thought Terry and June, Mark II, were childless. Uh, no, they're not. No. No, that was interesting. No. <laughs> they've definitely got a daughter. <laughs> and I'm not sure. Have they got a son as well? They've certainly got a daughter. Have you read any good books times. recently? Now, listen. Now, we've got it. Now, come on. for tea? Now, look. We have got six series, and I'm going to be able to talk about this fluently, so you're going to have I to... I only watched series one. You said I could get away with watching series one. It's not me copping out. It's just basically, by the time I'd finished watching all six, we wouldn't have recorded for months. We have got six series of Man About the House. We've got a film. We've got then spin-off, George Mildred's spin-off, Robin's Nest. And also an American version as well, so there's plenty to talk about here. But no, let me let me just go back to the point I was making before. I think that this is a really witty show. I think it's very well written, well performed, and it's certainly a cut above a lot of other shows that would have been around at the same time. Les Dawson once famously described Thames TV as London Weekend with all levels. And that's sort of how I feel about this, to be honest, if you compare it to something like Yus My Dear. Um, there is there is a significant That's cheating. There's a significant Sorry. comparing step up. anything to Yus My Dear <laughs> is cheating. It's a bit like on a certain web forum. There's there's endless discussions about the passage of time and how things were different a long time ago, and people go, and you know what? John Thor was only this age when this. It's like no, John Thor is cheating. John Thor should be off the agenda whenever you're discussing about how people looked older in the old days. Because John Thor always looked 50. He admitted it himself. And Yus, my dear, is stricken from the record. You can't compare anything with Yus, my dear. We haven't even reviewed Yus, my dear yet. I can't wait for that show. I can't wait for that episode. I was going to say podcast, but no, audiobook. So anyway, we might even charge extra for that one. But to get back to the I think uh, you could actually have that as a party. Invite everybody who wants to hear you talk about Yus, my dear, round to your flat. And uh, I don't think there'd be many people who are unable to make it who really wanted to be there. Yeah, true enough, true enough. I think everybody who wants to hear you talking about Yes, My Dear is already in your flat. (laughs) You don't know how many people I've got in my flat right now. i tell you another thing about Three's Company. I couldn't tell which was supposed to be which of the girls. You know, you've got the ditzy one and the acerbic one. In, in in Three's Company, they're both the ditzy one, <laughs> and um, so is the man. Did you did you see John Ritter scrotum? <laughs> and eventually, we, to, we, we rewrote that, that song now. into "Do You Ken John Peel?" But yes, the original opening line <laughs> of that lovely folk song. No, listen. No, we have to explain that because that's not be being crude for its own sake. That that is actually a specific reference to something. Did you send me that link? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you, do you want to explain what that, what that's to do with, and, and why why there's no Richard O'Sullivan equivalent? Just supposedly in one episode of Three's Company, John Ritter is wearing shorts. He falls back on a bed or a couch, and you can see up his shorts leg, and you can see a little bit more than he was supposed to. But there is some debate as to what exactly you can see. Can you just see a shadow of his inner thigh? I think we're going to have to wait for the retainer. We're going to have to wait for the Blu-ray remastered edition before we can know for sure. Anyway, we'll come back to Freeze Company. The man about the house. Okay, so I've set out my stall. I like it. I think it's a really witty series. It's quite progressive for its time as well, and it's a nice 
ensemble piece. I think everybody has their role. Everybody works very well. Some characters come to the fore more later on as the series goes on. But let's start right at the start. It's 1973, and the premise is that Joe and Chrissy, their flatmates, just got married, so they need uh, a new third flatmate. And Richard O'Sullivan, shock horror who's a fella, in case you hadn't guessed from his name, he is invited to share the flat. And, yeah, this then sort of you've got the kind of stuff that you'd expect you've got the whole business about you know can you trust you know having a fella or a randy fella that around the place that was a quotation by the way it wasn't me being crude and horrible and anything so you've got all that sort of hijinks and what have you and you've got george and mildred as owners of the property living downstairs You've also got Robin's mate, Larry, who starts off as just an occasional bit player, but then becomes more to the fore later on. He also becomes a tenant in the place. And, yeah, I suppose you'd say 1973, it's it's not quite the, the height of the whole sort of sexual revolution and so on. It's a couple of years earlier. We've already heard Terry Collier in 1972 say that he's he's missed all of that, and now he's come back in time for a new era of prudishness and so on from some sections of society. But the basic premise is that it's supposed to reflect the lives of young people, 1970s, in a big city. And you've got all the types of scenarios that you'd expect. You've got, sometimes you've got like a a party in the place and so on. Sometimes you've got problems that they've got with having boyfriends and girlfriends around and so on. So you have bits of farcical comedy in there. But you've also got some clever wordplay in there as well. I think it's a particularly well-written series. I think it's it's a it's a show which I think you benefit from keeping a careful ear out. There are nice little bits of innuendo in there and some other bits and pieces. And I think that's a, a standard element of those writers' work. You see that in a lot of bits and pieces of theirs. Now, let um, me see if I remember this rightly when you're talking about nice little throwaway gags. There's one gag in the first episode that Three's company kind of goes back and explains when he asks for a heaped tablespoon of milk. And it's just kind of left there and they move on, whereas in Three's company, they... A heaped tablespoon? <laughs> then again, absolutely everything. Is just, sorry to keep going. That's that's the most recent thing I've watched before we started recording is that Three's Company episode. And absolutely everything is, hey, this is a joke. Now, you've just reminded me of that scene in Nelly where the, uh, the fella says, yeah, I saw him when I was up my ladder. And then pause, because I'm a window cleaner. Get it? <laughs> again, difference between Thames and LWT. All levels. Makes all the difference. It's interesting. You know, people have talked about not going out as not being a particularly British show in its approach. Uh It is just people in a house or in a flat firing jokes off at each other. And when I started watching this, it's like, good, this is that American style already. A lot of it, the situation is very thin and it's just particularly Chrissy firing gags back and forth. I mean, you know, when she has this conversation with her mother, it's weirdly distant. It's not like how anybody's really ever spoken to their mother. It's just going to like, set up gag, set up gag, set up gag. Yes, I know what you mean. Sometimes... The big benefit of this, of course, is that Man About the House itself is not really a very strong premise for a series. 
It's all right for a few episodes that, oh, you know, a bloke staying with two girls. The good thing about that is, <laughs> as soon as you've worn that premise out, it's okay because you've now set up three characters who get into scrapes. And that's cool. I imagine possibly by two episodes into series two or something, that idea has just completely gone away. After a while, you're not tuning in to see how this situation develops. You just no, I wouldn't. To see no, I wouldn't. Characters. No, I wouldn't agree with that. Um, oh, really? It, it's not. It's certainly not as as prominent. I mean, obviously, the the fact that he's then sort of settled in there. Uh, okay, it's not still the central focus, but it still comes up from time to time. Particularly the fact that you've got that ongoing interplay between Robert and Chrissy, the whole will they won't they thing. But all the times they are seeing other people and then again you've got that sort of awkwardness sometimes oh, that Chrissy no. will have to explain that this is oh. Robin but he's just our flatmate you know we're not a couple no, so sorry. no you just reminded me there's one episode I couldn't finish I really should just quit sitcom club right now because I actually have a very low embarrassment threshold okay so explain what this episode is because I've never had to, to quit it's an the episode. one where he's trying to bring the girl home oh you mean with Jenny Agatha and was that Jenny Agatha? That wasn't Jenny Agatha. Uh, well, she she is in an episode, an early episode. She is in an episode, but she wasn't in any episode I saw. I've met her, you know. Have you? Yeah, very, very charming person. Hang on a minute, she's in the Railway Children, isn't she? Yes. Who else is in the Railway Children? Ah, yes, yes indeed, Ian Cuthbertson. So let's talk about Budgie <laughs> instead. People talk about the end of the Railway Children. Maybe I shouldn't... Sp- it's a spoiler. No, 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 spoiler, no, 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 spoiler alert. Can I just point out, I haven't seen it. So, oh, okay. just in case I'd like to see it someday, which I probably won't, then then, then don't. <laughs> well, no, people talk about the beginning of the Railway Children. <laughs> this isn't a spoiler for the beginning of the Railway Children. At the beginning, their father is arrested, and this kind of casts a shadow, this terrible injustice. A lot of people fail to notice is The father is completely guilty. If he wasn't guilty, he wouldn't be being played by Ian Cuthbertson. <laughs> but he's not playing it like he doesn't budgie, is he, surely? It's his name on the credits. Thus you know that he's a badden. Well. No, okay, so this episode... I lost my you, point. You know you said it was an Oh, yes, so, so he's bringing the girl home and Chrissy just decides to wreck it. That is Jenny Agatha. It is. I know exactly me, which one. Okay, I'm just gonna, I know which one you're you're talking about. Yeah, he, he eventually he gets her back home, and because Chrissy's annoyed, she pretends to be pregnant. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's Jenny Agatha. Which which episode is that? Is it episode six. Bear with us, ladies and gentlemen, while we check this point. <laughs> that's all right. This is what editing's for. I should, should no, I, no. I think we should. Leave no, that is in. not Jenny Agatha. It that is. is never. It is. No, that's it, not. It is. <laughs> I know which episode this is. I, Honestly. Hang on a minute. Ser- episode... Right, okay. Liz, played by Jenny Hanley. Oh, it's Jenny Hanley, isn't Jenny it? Jenny Hanley? <laughs> yes. Jenny Hanley? That's the daughter of Jimmy Hanley from hey. Radio Cab Murder and the Black Rider. Right, we have to leave all of this in now. Because <laughs> otherwise, I'm going to have to come back and say, ladies and gentlemen, there's a small piece edited out there. Let's apologise <laughs> for getting Jenny Hagatha mixed up with Jenny Hanley. But I was half right. I've been watching movies with her father in. Jenny Hanley, what was she in? Sky by Dave, Tony Blackburn. The short-lived 
uh, opposition to this morning on Sky yes. One. Anyway, so what were you saying? Why why couldn't you finish this episode then? What was what was wrong? It with was it? too embarrassing. I just knew it was going to be some sort of horrible clash, and it was going to be one of those stupid sitcom things. I mean, it was already one of those stupid sitcom things where people lie when they don't need to. That does come up, yeah. I really hate that. Actually, I watched a film recently, Penny Paradise, from 1938. And the the plot of that is somebody wins a fortune but on the pools, but as it turns out, the person who was supposed to have posted the return didn't. So the guy thinks he's won and he hasn't. And it's like, oh, no. The guy who didn't do it tries to tell immediately. He doesn't do any of this prevaricating and threshing around. It just so happens that for good and sufficient reasons, the guy doesn't believe him and thinks that he's trying to save his neck in some way. I was like, oh yes, yeah, you didn't post it. Okay, wink, wink, yeah, you keep saying that, thanks. Yes, yes, you didn't post I thought, well, that was refreshing. They managed to keep the plot going but didn't have somebody act like a complete idiot okay but what was what was the instance then in this episode where somebody was lying when they didn't have to robin my flatmate might be in it's a bloke and he's a little bloke and it's definitely a man and everything instead of saying look the, might as well know this now uh my flatmates are a couple of girls so i'll just go in and tell the one who's there to keep out of the way no he lies <laughs> well yeah, okay, but you could make a, a solid argument for saying that uh, it's been a long evening, presumably a couple of drinks have been consumed. This is going to come back and bite you, Robin. There's no way it couldn't. Yeah, this, this is true, but also the conclusion is that Robin has been a little bit selfish, a little bit unfair in the course of that episode. So if he was to be honest and say, look, a share of a couple of girls and then Chrissy pulled that stunt, it would make her the villain. I I just could anyway. I could not finish it. Well, I think we should pause at this point, and you should watch series two through to six, and then we'll restart the recording. Okay, we've paused, ladies and gentlemen. So, Ocho, what did you think of series two through to six? They're all the same. I I I, I cannot agree. I mean, they all look alike to me. The whole the whole sci-fi twist spat in, reference there. The whole sci-fi twist in series five. That was like Kinvig. A, it was like an early Kinvig. Was, oh, you beat me to it. I was going to say it was like an early Kinvig. Um, now, Kinvig, yeah. I have tons of notes for Kinvig. We're, no, we're, at least we're not. the three episodes I've watched, I do have a feeling that my notes are going to peter out from episodes three to six. <laughs> well, they would have done if you were in the ATV area and you weren't allowed to stay up until the new time of half past ten. <laughs> but So what, you, what we ended up with is a podcast where you discuss the first three episodes of Kinvig and then suddenly you, you discuss the last three episodes of WKRP in Cincinnati. But this still an element of continuity running through it. Anyway, the point is that I can agree with your suggestion that it drops the whole fella sharing with a couple of girls. It, well, that wasn't still... a suggestion, that was a prediction. Well, it's not entirely forgotten about. It's still an undercurrent through the letter series. Obviously, it's not as prominent because it couldn't be because it would run out of steam. But you have that as in all long-running sitcoms. You have the will they, won't they? Business. I'm not going to give any spoilers about that, but uh, that concentrates on Chrissy and Robin. I think you picked up on something you said to me the other day about how George is perhaps a little bit tougher in the first few episodes, certainly in comparison to how he was by the time we reached George and Mildred. George and Mildred are different characters, in a way, subtly. Have you ever seen Three's Company? 
One or two episodes. And in that, I don't know if his name's still George, in that Mr. Roper is a complete grouse and... Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Ropers. I've, I've seen more of the Ropers, its own spin-off from Freeze Company, than I have of Freeze Company. And I think that the balance there is wrong. I yeah, well, as it's... soon as I saw the American Ropers come out, I was like, well, I can see why the spin-off didn't work. If they stay like this, right up until the end, it's just going to be a, a horrible man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he's not domineering, but he's too grumpy and his wife is too lenient with him. She tries to reason with him more than Mildred would ever try and reason with George. Certainly by the time we get to, say, series three of Man About the House, there you've got George and Mildred as you would then recognise them from their own show. George is usually up to something, quite often with Jerry, Roy Kinnear in tow, and Mildred, of course, is... Back in the days when you could add a Kinnear to your sitcom and it would work. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> that was good. I like that. <laughs> anyway, we'll delve into that show in a future episode. But yeah, there's one episode I'm trying to think now. I think this might be series two thereabouts of Man About the House, where... Unusually, George actually shows a bit of steel. They want to hold a, a party in the flat, and they get Mildred's permission, effectively going over George's head. And Mildred dismisses George's protestations and just says, yes, that's fine. George then goes to extraordinary lengths to make sure the party doesn't happen, and says to Robin, when I say there's not going to be a party, I mean it. It's one of the very few times that George actually stands up for himself. And you could see that that can work occasionally, but certainly wouldn't be, wouldn't even be comfortable for a normal run-of-the-mill show, um, because you just think, yeah, like you say about Norman Fell and the Ropers, he would just come across as a rather unlikable individual. Now that, that's it for Men About the House, I think. That's we've no, said no, everything no. that can be usefully said. So trouble in mind. Oh, no, we'll come to that. We'll come to Trouble in Mind. Are we, are we really going to review Trouble in Mind by itself? No. Do you but... think maybe we should just do the later sitcoms of Richard O'Sullivan and maybe include Dick Turpin as a sitcom, even though it isn't? Dick Turpin it's is not, it's not a sitcom. We are not drama club. It's good, though. It may be good, but it's not a sitcom. It's witty. There's funny bits in it. It's not a sitcom, I'm saying. you got Christopher Benjamin effing and Jeffing at one point. There are funny bits in The Sweeney. There are funny bits in The Professionals, but we're not going to review them because they're not sitcoms. Yeah, but there are more funny bits in Dick Turpin than in those other two shows. It's more essential to the... Not necessarily. Anyway, what we do and talk about Dick Turpin. Now, we've got lots of money about Turpin's the house. Dick Turpin's great. It's fantastic. Oh, no. That, I, once took, I, would, I took it to a friend's house. It's like, right, let's watch an episode of Dick Turpin for nostalgia's sake. We burned through the entire first disc in one sitting. Just like, oh, one more. Oh, just, just watch another. Oh, let's just watch another. Fantastic. Anyway, Man About the House. In keeping with the era. Rapidly, in keeping, yes, there are lots of innkeepers in Dick Turpin. No. Oh, dear me. In keeping with the era, it rapidly ends up on the big screen. 1974. Um, <laughs> what? Nothing. <laughs> What? I was just choking back the urge to start talking about Dick Turpin's Greatest Adventure, which was also a movie. But I think that was only theatrically released in the States. It was a TV series in the UK. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did it even have Richard O'Sullivan in it? Yes, it did. 
had Donald Pleasance as well, and Ed Bishop and Patrick McNee, and I think Diana Dawes. Still not a sitcom. Anyway, Man About the House. So it ended up on the big screen, 1974, one of the, the Hammer comedies, and that's got an interesting sort of vibe to it. it. It certainly takes advantage of the budget. You see a lot of London in it, so it's a nice little social document in itself. And you've got this ongoing story through about this property developer who's played by Arthur Lowe, uh, who well, wants hey. to knock down the row of houses in which... Uh, TV's are... Potter. Now, we'll come to Potter. Potter is I've been, a sitcom. I've been watching quite a bit of Potter recently, so that's why it's foremost on my mind. Potter is a sitcom, but it's not a sitcom that we will be discussing just now. It's anyway. keeping up appearances done right. Yeah, I, that, I like that. I agree with that. But anyway, so yeah, so we've got this ongoing saga for it, but the, the property developer, there's quite a few people turn up. Surprisingly, there's quite a few people turn up in The Man About the House film that you wouldn't necessarily expect, such as, for example... Orson Spike- Welles! <laughs> Victor Mature! <laughs> ah, the champagne. The Gombe Dance Band! <laughs> who were those Archbishop two? Desmond Tutu! What were the name of those fellows who Cuddly sang... Cuddly Toy! What were the name of those two fellows who sang about Lowry? They were in it. Yeah, anyway. those... Oh, that pair of... Oh, yeah. they brought a lot of pleasure to a lot of people. I just don't particularly like that song. Anyway, okay, I've have... edited you singing that out because, man, copyright, no. publishing copyright. Yes, no, that was that was fair usage. I've edited you singing it out because I don't particularly care for the song. I bet the B side was good. Maybe I'll pick up. The, Any... the lovely Amy McDonald is in this. The movie. lovely Amy McDonald is in. I was saying that Spike, Spike Milligan, Milligan. Spike Milligan plays himself. Yeah, yeah, as as do Jack Smith Thurst and Rudolph Walker. I've heard. You know what? I'm going to have to watch this movie. There is no. The movie's really good. It's really good. It's is it a reboot? Certainly, um, not really. No, no, it's oh, okay. not. It's certainly a bloody sight better than George and Mildred the movie. How many of those sitcom movies were reboots? Oh, Pompeii, you could argue, yeah. Yes, yeah, you could say that. Um, Porridge. Yeah, por- well, is is Porridge a reboot? Because. It's definitely a different universe. It's... Well, the f- no, the thing the thing is that that um, Godbert is already there, so we have a new incomer played by Daniel Peacock in order for Fletcher to then have to explain everything again. But it's not as if it's Fletcher's first day inside Slade Prison, so you wouldn't really say that was a reboot, would you? No, but it doesn't quite fit. Um, Start the fact that the prison looks completely different. Thinking, I've just I've just seen uh, for the love of Ada the film. That's not a reboot. Please, sir. No, again, please, sir. Is pretty much. Did you know there was a Larkins movie? No. There's a Larkins movie. <laughs> well, I never knew that until five seconds ago. I'm not. I'm, I'm struggling, but uh, to think of reboot films, to be honest. Okay. You, you see, it somehow got stuck in my mind that a all... complete and absolute reboot. Bless his house. No, no, that's they're just there. Ready. I was going to say... Callan is a reboot, but that's not really a sitcom. Maybe it's my experience of I had, some I, of the drama I had one. I had one there. Man. What about the Sweeney? Is Sweeney a, a reboot? <sighs> not really. Regan Carter already on the force. Okay. You've got subtle differences. You've got some different players and so on, but it's it's no, it's not really. My Dad's Army. Point. Yes. Yes. Excellent one. Total reboot. Goes all the mm. way back, yeah. Like a lads isn't, which you you might have thought that it would have been. The right? likely lads is very interesting as it actually provides a strange kind of closure to the whole saga. Yes, in a kind of mirroring of the end of the original series. 
I mean, the original series of the Likely Lads, not just whatever happened. Yeah, I, I had one. I had one there just a moment ago. No, it's gone. No, but no. On I'm... the buses, is that is that a reboot or is that a continuation or a missing adventure? It's not a reboot, but it also goes off the path of the TV series as well. Because it's a bit porridgey. Well, and, and, and as much as Arthur and Olive are still together by the third film, even though Arthur has divorced Olive in the TV series by this point, and also they have a child in the film series throughout, whereas they, they never did in the TV show. So it sort of exists in its similar sort of parallel universe. No, no, I'm I'm drawing a blank here. I think the only one I can I, I can think of I agree, um Dad's Army of course is absolute reboot but no otherwise I'm I'm drawing a blank there. Good evening. I would just like to point out at this stage that the reboot film in question, which I couldn't remember at this point in the conversation, was in fact Rising Damp. And I would like to thank Hocho for pointing this out about five hours after we concluded our conversation. We now return you to the advertised podcast. Sorry, audiobook. But certainly Man About the House, no, they're all established already. Robin is already in there. And you're right. (laughs) It's just this. Robin's in there. (laughs) Hey, oh, hey. don't! It was just the way you said that. I said, don't be filthy. I wasn't being filthy. It's not exactly the most despicable graphic description <laughs> of an unnatural act, is it? Right, Robin? <laughs> hey, you're in there, Robin. Don't know if this is going to make the final cut or not, but I burst out laughing by myself earlier on when I heard someone on a political discussion program say about a particular uh, political party. They're not all that way, you know. <laughs> in a way uh, speaking so, of which yeah cool, Chrissy and Joe and Robin hate gay people don't they no they no they no they, no I can't I can't allow that through no they they, they really don't now actually no, I'm deliberately I know but no let, let me let me explain because it is actually it's quite an interesting area Man About the House is one of those series which has a lot of slang it's got a lot of language of its time, as they always say on you know Radio Seven and so on. But whereas the the film, when the film was shown on ITV Three recently, there's only one single line that got cut, and that was George simply saying "silly bitch." Everyone else was fine. Whereas in the TV series, when it's been repeated on ITV Three over the last year or so, it's been huge chunks of dialogue cut. I think. Sometimes it's it's more often the case than not that each episode is going to have some sort of edit in it. Even the very last line of episode one, and to be fair, they've done a very, very good job of it because it, like, it could have been done in a really ham-fisted way, but actually it's been skillfully edited. But no, I mean, you do hear expressions, you hear the odd remark like poof and so on, you, you hear that in yeah, the course of... Yeah, I was just of... kind of surprised how often they keep saying poof. Well, I think that... It's more about the way in which it's said and the way which is intended. So when Chrissy and Joe say it, for example, they don't really mean it in a nasty way. It, uh, it's just, just shorthand. It's just slang. Whereas, for example, Larry will make a comment towards Robin and there's a little bit more steel behind it. And those kind of instances you would expect to get cut. Some of the edits, to be honest, surprise me. Did you spot, for example, the episodes that you were watching, I think you were watching uncut versions. 
Did you spot in episode two when Robin is just moving into the place, he's got his little lamp with the ruddy naked lady on it when you light it up? I did notice Chrissy's mother noticing it. Yeah. That got cut from my TV free. Oh, okay. Even, believe it or not, the cover of the book that Mildred is reading because it's got a very, very slight hint of nudity in the artwork. Like it's edited. Well, that's just crazy. It's odd. It really is, to be honest. I understand that there's one that we spoke about the other day, for example, that Chrissy says her mother visits every once in a while to make sure that she hasn't married a black man. And Joe's response is, well, she worries about you. Now, obviously, yeah. that's, gonna, that's, that's obviously going to get cut out. A few series later, Chrissy actually delivers the same line to uh, Norman Ashley. And it gets left in. And the reason it gets left in is because they're both laughing it off. There's no Nobody's trying to justify it in that instance. But yeah, things like like the odd glimpse of, of nudity in, in, in the cover of a, a book. I mean, that's bizarre. I've, I can't remember if it was on this podcast or if it perhaps it was on uh, the radio where we were discussing edits in modern day TV. But when ITV last showed Carry On Camping, the edited of the nudity out. And that means basically cutting out every single shot of the cinema screen in the opening scene. And also editing probably the most <laughs> famous scene of every Carry On film has ever been. Barbara Windsor. I'm curious, does that have the effect of making it look like they're watching something far nastier on the cinema screen? Are you just cutting to lots of reaction shots? In the no, no, it, it, ah. it doesn't because... because Sorry, the... that wasn't a lust noise, was it? <laughs> no. That was Mr. Hyde. <laughs> no. <laughs> how, how nasty is this bloody film that they're watching? No, because you've got the narration of the film. You can still hear that going on, so that establishes that it's, it's just a, this daft little film about a naturist complex. Now, I know what you mean, though, because sometimes an edit can actually make things worse. I've heard stories about American television in the 80s using the big red X across the screen if there was something that they didn't want displayed. And some people saying that that made it a bloody sight worse for them because you know there's something there. If it, if it's carefully edited, then you get the gist of what's going on. You can use power of suggestion to imply something. But otherwise, it shields you from the worst image. Whereas, if you're told there's something on the screen right now and we're not going to show you what it is, it, you think you're probably just better off seeing it, to be honest. Because otherwise, your your mind's going to be racing with what on earth is so horrific that I can't see this. But, yeah, no, to go back to the sitcom edits, again, it's something which I find a little bit... I think sometimes the editing can be a little bit overbearing. I do understand that for old-fashioned slang terminology, particularly to do with race and sexuality and so on, I understand why they don't necessarily want that going out to all comers at whatever time of day. Um, it's a completely different matter if it's a DVD version but I think the instances of, of edits being made to DVD releases are pretty few and far between. So the episodes that you were watching, they would have been uncut ones. Was there anything at all that surprised you and, and made you think, well, you wouldn't get away with that nowadays? No, but I'm fairly inured to... <laughs> don't forget I have recently been watching Odd Man Out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, guess, I guess it was just the puff stuff. Because I think of it, A, as definitely being an insult, and B, that these were supposed to be, you know, open-minded young people 
Yeah, I agree, but we've already established in the episode with the the party, for example, that, for example, there's a gay couple as guests at the party, and their attendance, other than the fact that it's it's noteworthy, but they're not really being the butt of any jokes, and certainly they're not experiencing any hostility from really anybody in attendance. So with episodes like that, you've sort of pretty much established that they are they're quite liberal, they're quite open-minded. It's just that some of the phrases that they'll use will be dated by now. But again, it, it you know it's, it's unfair. We're judging a 1973 sitcom by 2013 standards. And as I often say when we get into conversations of this type, I'm intrigued to know what it is in the year 2053 that people say, well, you can get away with that in 2013, but yeah, you can get away with that nowadays. I can't imagine what it will be, to be honest. But I'm pathos. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> listen, this is not the Count Arthur Strong episode. <laughs> Can you believe you specifically got a VPN client just to be able to watch that show? <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, but anyway, again, I like the film version. I think it works pretty well. It doesn't suffer from the problem that a lot of the film versions have. They don't go off to Spain. They don't get mixed up with the mafia. They... <laughs> They don't end up uh, in some bloody flying spacecraft or anything like that. I can't actually think of a single instance of that last example that I gave happening in any uh, Damn you. sitcom spin-off film. I was really looking forward to finding <laughs> out which sitcom movie had that in. Yeah, when, you, until you've seen Romany Jones, the movie, you haven't lived. Hey. <laughs> so yeah, the, the film version... Quite fast turnover, because that was just one year into the series itself. And as the series progresses, you see a lot more of Doug Fisher, see a lot more of Larry. He moves in to the top, flat. So you've got a bit more sharing the the load. You don't have to always have Robin be uh, the centre of attention. And then there were some episodes later on where actually the focus shifts a bit more to George and Mildred. And you quite often get that in ensemble companies of this type where you when you look at the, the structure of the series overall, there are certain episodes where it's it's this person this week. You you often spot it in something like Cheers, for example. This week it'll be Norm who'll be the focus and then next week it'll be Fraser and so on. And yeah, there's quite a lot of that going on. <laughs> I think I think you mean Frasier. However What did I if say? If there is a you said Fraser, if there is a series of Cheers with John Laurie in it <laughs> Put me down for the DVD, the Blu-ray, or the 4K, whatever is going to come out of that. That would be great. If anybody listening wishes to make a mashup of Cheers and John Laurie and then post it, we will definitely include the link in the next episode of the Sitcom Club. It's only an I. It's just one letter. What, what difference does it make? Well, in this case, it makes all the bloody difference. But, yeah... Okay, well, well, nevertheless, I think that my point stands to use innuendo of the time. And, yeah, as the series develops, you've I did got... watch a little bit of the first episode of George and Mildred. In fact, you interrupted me when you called uh, to no. set up this recording. And I did notice that they moved to Hampton Wick. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about innuendo. How's your rock cock? Anyway, um... <laughs> Actually, that's one aspect of George Mildred, which was a real shame, that 
none of them came to visit. They didn't have all three of them just drop in one week in, in the there style of... There were plans, of, weren't there? In the style of an American sitcom. Let me consult. Okay, I'm not finding anything, but I've definitely heard a rumour that there was supposed to be George and Mildred at Robin's Nest. And I don't know exactly why that didn't happen. When did Robin's Nest end? 80, I think. I w- yeah, so it, w- it would have been the death of Youth of Joyce. I just found on uh, Rhubarb's forum, I just googled it, that that was what put paid to George and Mildred at Robin's Nest. Yeah, that would have been a nice wee crossover. I'm not going to give anything away about the ending of Man About the House, but it's nice that it does have a conclusion. It doesn't just peter out. And well, I would suggest to yourself, Watcher, I, I would... I don't think you're going to. But I, I would persevere, to be honest. I would have a wee look at some of the Series 2, Series 3 episodes. Well, I'm so just on. thinking, maybe we can call this Part 1, and we'll do Part 2 into the future. We've got other shows to get to. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. I was not saying that Man About the House was a bad show. It wasn't. It's just one of those where I wasn't making copious notes, and I wasn't kind of, well, I want to discuss the relationships here, and oh, what, what textual examination can I perform on this? It just wasn't something that I thought there was a huge amount to talk about. Oh, um, I tell you what, I t- also watching the first episode of Three's Company, the two women, they're both the ditzy one. Until they s- said their names, I couldn't tell which was which. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's, it's just one of those things that sometimes just certain elements get lost in translation. Um, and I think that that, that whole... And John Ritter seemed way wimpier than Richard O'Sullivan. Well, it, the thing is that the dynamic really works in Man About the House. You you don't have Chrissy and Joe being interchangeable. You know, they're, they're their own people. Very often you couldn't really apply a scenario that Chrissy will get herself into. You couldn't just easily apply that to Joe. And that's nice. I mean, it, it's nice that unlike, you know, some of the shows that we've seen, you've got supporting characters who could probably just swap each other's lines if they felt like it. But I think that everybody is a strong enough character and they've all got a reason for being there. And yeah, I've not seen enough of Free's Company to really be able to speak about it. But I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see it, but I've got a funny feeling that I think... I don't think it would hold my attention. I think that the, probably the novelty of seeing it, once I've spotted a few scenarios repeat themselves and seen a few lines that are recognised from the British version and so on, I don't necessarily know that it would hold my attention all, all the way through the various series. Certainly the Ropers didn't, in comparison to George and Mildred. This is a show that's spawned two sequels, so Aftermath but the House went straight to... <laughs> is that like Aftermash? Aftermath about the house. Is there a show called Aftermash? There is a show called Aftermash. Is yes. there? There is, yes. I don't know about this. When did this yes. happen? Aftermash, oh, surprisingly, in the clues. No, hang on. Speaking, speaking, speaking of things I didn't know about, how on earth did I not know about the American version of Open All Hours? Oh. How did I not know about this? Hell. I only just discovered this about two weeks ago. Apparently it's, it's called Open All Night. And it lasted for one series, I think about 14 episodes. It's from 1981. And the first episode features a guest appearance from TV's David Letterman. What if we could get a copy of that? I've not been able to track one down. And I've been right through the torrent sites. So last not. But 
I get the impression that, uh, for whatever reason, the, the clever dialogue and so on, characterization, uh, maybe didn't quite make it over. Uh, I, I don't see how that would work if you took it out out of Yorkshire. I'm not sure how it would work if you took it out of Doncaster. Well, the guy's too young for a start. The guy's not the same age as Arkwright. And also, it suffers from an excruciating title sequence in which virtually every aspect of his life up until now is sung about. There are actually a couple of clips. There are clips on YouTube. On YouTube, yes. yeah. Yeah. Actually, do you know what? Do leave this in the edit. I, I, I would like to hear your reaction to watching the opening titles. I'm going to find them just now. I'm going to watch the opening titles right now, then. Okay. Have you found it already? Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pause the recording, and we'll come back after I've seen... Those opening titles. Yeah, okay. Okay, now just imagine if these were... Imagine a British version of these. This is going to be disco, isn't it? No, it's, no, it's not. Oh. How, how dare you be disparaging about disco? I'll have you know I am I am the... Let me get this right. King of the disco, that's it. There's times and places of a disco. Yeah, I, th- I think you've got the same one I've just got mine. Okay, yeah. Okay, we're going to do this simultaneously. Right, here we go. Okay. Right, after three. One, two, three, Dusty. Oh, God. Right, he's too young for a start. Why do we need to hear about every single aspect of his life up until now? I mean, <laughs> even including dates, times, places, a lot. Brian Izzard would take one look at this and say, no. <laughs> <laughs> even Brian Izzard was... Right, now, just let's just have captions. I thought, I thought he would give his approval. That'd be right up his street. No, it's, 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 this is too much for even him. This is too much singing. I've got this horrible feeling now that there's going to be no sitcom. This is going to be 24 minutes of singing and stills. That would be probably better. Bubba Smith from uh, Police Academy Films. No! Stop! Stop! It has now. It's, it stopped. It's okay. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> it never stops. <laughs> so, okay. Now, can we imagine? can we imagine that being applied to Open All Hours? Say the Mike Sands This is singers. the story of Albert Arkwright. He opened this shop. <laughs> and that's it. It's <laughs> all he's ever done in his life. This, that's true, isn't it? That is what Arkwright's done. He's built that shop up. So you couldn't have that. What is all this backstory? He's been in the army and, and what? Give it a shit. Just get on with it. He, okay, he runs a shop. That's it. He runs a shop and it's open at night. Got it. Get on with it. And who's this? It's David Letterman. What are you doing here? God knows. Anyway. I'm taking a look at the Letterman bit. I know there's a lot of discussion about, you know, Leno or Letterman. Tell you what, David Letterman comes way behind Kathy Steff and Stephanie Cole. <laughs> let's just, okay, let's get it on the record right now. Who, who's your pick, Leno or Letterman? I don't like those kind of shows. I'm going to pick Craig Ferguson. If you haven't seen Craig Ferguson's show on CBS get it. It's bloody good. And I cannot believe it's not on British TV. There, I've said it. Anyway, so, what have we covered? Man About the House, six series. I agree with you that it's not necessarily something where you want to... We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. I'll watch the remaining 17 series and five movies, whatever the hell it is. It's not necessarily a show where you want to do a lot of Contextualizing and and love Alan analysis of it and so on, but yeah, I I sorry, did I, you say love Alan analysis? No, I cocked it up. I'm going to say it again. No, don't say it again because it was, <laughs> it's like, well, who's in love Alan? 
Is there not a show called Love Alan? There's, love. There, there, there is there's Dear, Dear Mother, Mother Love, love Albert. Albert. Yes, yes. we've got that. Yeah, and there's Love Soup. But there's not a show, as far as we know, called Love Alan. But give it time. Maybe it'll be on, you know, the CW Network. Alan Rothwell from Picture Box is a professional tennis player who's also called Alan Rothwell. Now, do you know what? Just for a second, I'd forgotten that we were just talking about a show called Love Alan, and I thought you just decided to tell me just now that Alan Rothwell is a professional tennis player. I never knew that. I was pitching! <laughs> no, it was called Serving in tennis. Serving. <laughs> oh. Footfall. Anyway, Alan Rothwell is in the first episode of Mother's Ruin with Roy Bannaclough, which was a sort of modern-day open all hours. Does he See? say his catchphrase? Which is what? Welcome to Picture Box. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I think he does, actually. That's yes. his catchphrase. It's the first thing he says after those opening titles of Picture Box. That, that is his catchphrase. I think you should, I think you should tell Leslie people. Phillips had to say, Hello. And I like it. You know, he had to change his delivery. Alan Rothwell just managed to say a very plain hello, and that was his catchphrase. And Jimmy Kingsbury had to say, stop wanking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have to explain. Um, okay, right. Um, yeah, no, that, that, yeah, you're right. Um, okay, Jimmy Kingsbury, uh, radio personality of yesteryear, it's a f- clip that you can track down on the internet where he clearly has got two words in his mind at the same time. It's a kind of lonely time of night. That's the beginning of it. That's it, yes. Yeah, and he's trying to describe if you're perhaps alone in a bed sit somewhere in London. Well, well, just just for a moment, just, just stop wanking thinking about your own loneliness. And I'm not sure what it was he was trying to say. I mean, actually, as we're... Let's pull back the curtain. As we're recording this just now, this is Bank Holiday Weekend in the UK. There's one outtake, which used to feature quite regularly on Anthony's Bloomers, where a female newscaster, local news, cannot decide between have a good weekend or have a good bank holiday and ends up saying, have a good wank. I can't remember the name of the newsreader who's doing a live trail for the bulletin. And while she's doing it, starts to think that she's just doing the rehearsal. (laughs) Yes. And right at the end, she goes, that's coming up later on. Hope you can make it. Can't wait. Love you lots. (laughs) in a way right let's recap so we had I don't want to get the reputation of being the guy who hates men about the house no 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 that's that's, that's fair enough and you're going to stick with it and you're you're going to tell me later on that you it's not quite up there with Nelly but it's not quite up there with Dick Turpin bloody well close in fact look Dick Turpin not a sitcom not a sitcom do you know what because you've mentioned Dick Turpin so many times in this show I don't think that this is going to qualify as 100% sitcom-related discussion. And I am reluctantly, <laughs> very reluctantly, going to have to reclassify this show as a podcast and not as an audiobook. And so if you've already paid the fourteen ninety-nine, it's on its way back to you. We'll give you a refund. Sorry. Now, if we'd stuck to sitcom-related matters and never mentioned Dick Turpin, we could have had several $10 bills in our hand by now. Not many, but more than but three. Millions more will have heard us this way. This is true. This is true. 
But yeah, so to quickly quickly to recap then, there are six series of Man About the House. They're all available on network DVD. The film is available as well. They do regularly turn up on ITV3, both the series and the film, but if you want to see them uncut, get DVDs. And also George Mildred spin-off Robin's Nest is the spin-off where Robin then meets Tessa Wyatt and they go into business with a wee bistro funded by Tess White's father, played by Tony Britton. And if you watch carefully, I think in the first episode you can see that the skyline in Tony Britton's flat, looking out at St Paul's and what have you, is terribly creased. I really needed an iron across it. I thought you were going to say that the skyline still has the word Thames printed on it. <laughs> Colour production copyright. MCM. L-X-X-V-I-I-I. <laughs> That'd be good if every time you open the blinds it was a different <laughs> <bottom> <laughs> television. Now this is all going very end of part one. Yes, um, now that was the thing I was going to say about Three's Company, that because it's so pushed, the humour is pushed at you, everybody delivers every funny line, so you cannot be unaware that it's a joke. There are reasons for that. I'm not making this into a stupid American thing. I think America, uh, having such a large immigration base for its society you do kind of have to push jokes because when you've got lots of different cultures in your society there isn't quite that shared sense of humor and that's how that evolved that being said yet three's company did strike me as the kind of thing that end of part one would have made fun of with ridiculous oh the laugh track now at the end they do say that three's company is taped in front of a studio audience but the laughter has been juiced up a bit. It's been a laughter wash. I know this because I was watching it with my wife and they just kept one bit and she went, Desi Arnaz was there. She heard Desi Arnaz's distinctive laugh. <laughs> you can hear Desi Arnaz's distinctive laugh on a number of American sitcoms because he would turn up for the laugh track recording sessions of I Love Lucy and they would then sell the laughter on to other companies and it was in circulation for years so there are quite a few where apparently Desiones is in the audience of a large number of American sitcoms now this is something which I know DCT um, has a few instances of that he can recall he's attended a few BBC recordings in recent years but at some point uh, I think perhaps when the four of us are convening for a future show I would like to actually. I think this would be honestly. I'm not no no kidding around here. I think this would be a legitimate public service. I think it's about time that the whole business of laughter tracks on British shows was analysed and some myths debunked. And we've got now this almost received wisdom that you see people on Twitter saying for the last time. Shows in the UK do not use canned laughter. There is an audience there. God almighty. Imagine all these damn critics and they keep on talking about canned laughter. Do you even know what it is and so on? That seems to be now the standard response. standard response was, damn all this canned laughter. And now the standard response is, there's no such thing. The truth of the matter is, it's closer to the latter, but it's not... 100% true, exactly as you've just described, listen to the laugh track on any, just about any British sitcom these days, if you listen carefully enough, you're going to hear laughs that you've heard many, many, many times before. 
yes, you do have a live audience in just about every instance. I think the only shows that you get these days where you don't have legitimate audience participation are in things like, say, the midweek National Lottery draw, where you've got canned applause. But in terms of sitcoms, there's a reasonable amount of post-production going on there. And I don't think it's quite as straightforward as some people would like to suggest uh, and just be dismissive of the very idea of canned laughter. But yeah, like I said, we'll go into that in the future show. It'd be nice to have a few examples to hand. And maybe we'll even play them, damn it. We'll take some samples and stick them into the show. Spin-off, of course. Is there an American version of Robin's Nest? Yeah, three's a crowd. Because he's not called Robin, so you can't, you couldn't have it Robin's Nest, and you couldn't call it Jack Off. <laughs> As everybody knows, the American version of Robin's Nest is called Freezer Crowd. <laughs> Bet you didn't know that. <laughs> and there is also the American version of George Mildred, The Ropers, which features Jeffrey Tambor. Later, of course, Hank Kingsley, Lyle Sanders show. I like how The Ropers was not a great success and only ran for 28 episodes. George and Mildred was a massive success and ran for 38 episodes. Yeah, that is is a good point, actually. Something that isn't a success runs for 28 episodes, which I think is... How many episodes of The Right Way were there? Six or seven? (laughs) So it's at least four times as many, if not more. And I found some bits funny, but I've I've already stated that in public. So next time, I want to state this on the podcast. We're not doing the topping. Hold your hands to the fire and keep you committed to it. Next time, ever decreasing circles. Okay, here's a little preview of ever decreasing circles. Ever decreasing circles, part one, maybe because I have a feeling we're going to be burning up our podcast time before we've known it, before we even get to the end of series one. Um, I'm going to admit something now about. I'm going to admit two things about Ever Decreasing Circles. One, I've not seen Ever Decreasing Circles. I mean, obviously, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I've stumbled across it in gold and so on, but I've not actually seen an entire episode of it. It's one of those shows that, for some inexplicable reason, has just passed me by. Having said that, here's a little confession I must make. Um, as you were saying about the first time you saw Not Going Out, and immediately forming an impression of it. The first time that I ever stumbled across ever-decreasing circles, um, I saw the, you can remind me of the names, the husband and wife character who always wear the matching sweaters. Howard and Hilda. I saw them in the matching sweaters and thought, <sighs> some duff sitcom with overacting. Straight away, I just, just looked at it and I thought, oh, okay, we've got silly sight gags like that, have we? Nah, nah. And if I if I had stumbled across a different section of the episode, then maybe I would have been hooked on it. I have no idea. Um, sometimes just, yeah, I mean, not going out, as you just gave the example of it, I stumbled across one episode of that one evening, right from the outset, and the very first thing I see is Lee Mack uh, in some daft, like, cycling outfit, you know, the, the, like, the tight, like lycra shorts and what have you, and as soon as I saw, it, I thought, oh, okay, that's what John cost. Ritter needed. Oh, yeah, tight cycling shorts under in, his shorts, unless there was a hole in them. But anyway, no. As soon as I saw that, I'm thinking, okay, silly costumes. Yeah, and I know that I know that's, that's foolish and it's really unfair. 
um, to judge it like that, but sometimes you just get a glimpse of something, and maybe it's just me, but I suspect not. Sometimes you just get a glimpse of something, and you you just form an impression about it, and then maybe sometime later on you actually realise, oh, it's not like that at all. Well, next time you and I get together then, we'll see if that impression still holds. Next time, ever-decreasing circles. There might be other editions of the sitcom club between now and then that are not that but next time it's me and mooncat you know it's going to be ever decreasing circles and birdie our number one fan also says that we have to watch a bit of butterflies for a little bit of context so it's not going to be a discussion of ever decreasing circles and butterflies but that will be a good place to bounce off of so there'll be a bit of butterflies in there if we do do butterflies i actually want us to do potter as well Yes, and I, I yeah, I really like Potter, and I, I'm I'm flabbergasted that the lengths that we had to go to track down Potter. You're never going to stumble across what Potter on any series. Sat- yeah, you're never going to stumble across it on satellite or cable. You cannot get it on DVD. You certainly never see it on on BBC. I've no idea. I mean, a show with Arthur Lowe, written by Roy Clark. Why on earth is that not getting any attention? I don't get it. Don't get it at all. But yeah, no, that's definitely one that we'll do in the future. And a really good supporting cast as well. Noel Dyson. John Barron. John Barron and Harry H. Corbett in some of the episodes as well. For now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say we're going to keep it as a podcast. We're, we're gonna, we, 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 you and I could be raking it in by now if it wasn't for your Richard O'Sullivan obsession. High women and what have you. And if you like, if you like Dick Turpin so much, why don't you like Carry On Dick? Same thing. Yeah, but it's not made by London Weekend. But probably was shown by London Weekend at some point doesn't have Christopher Benjamin and David Dacre. Well, no, but, I mean, if we can insert John Laurie into Cheers, I'm sure we can do something <laughs> of that ilk as well. <laughs> I mean, it's all on film, so it would all look legit as well, wouldn't it? Whereas taking footage of, of John Laurie on PAL and inserting that into a high-definition remastered Cheers episode, that's, that's going to look weird. Let's be honest about it. Thank you very much indeed for downloading this episode of Sitcom Club. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, or even if you haven't, then you can listen to all the previous episodes on the podcast feed. Uh, they're all available there all the way back to April. And you can get details of them at sitcomclub.com. And also you can follow us, same name, you can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter as well. Ocho, thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome. Have a good bank holiday weekend. <laughs> and we shall... See you again, everybody. Bye-bye.